exit. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're talking about the situation of gasoline prices in America as we're seeing the price of oil going down in the news every single day, but yet at the pumps the price seems to be staying stable or even increasing. And you know, a lot of people have been asking, what's up with that? They think that the refiners, the gas station owners, are gouging them. And I've heard a lot of comments to that effect. And so this week I wrote my column on that very topic. Oil's down, gasoline isn't, what's up? It's been a very popular column. You can find it on Breitbart.com, RedState.com, and on the American Spectator at Spectator.org, and many, many other places. But uh, it's it's been very popular, gotten a lot of comments, and of course some people uh, like the explanation I've provided, and others say, oh no, they're just gouging us. And it's, it's an interesting topic. It's generated a lot of interest. Now, today in our first segment, I'm happy to introduce to you, welcome back to America's Voice for Energy, my go-to guy, as I call him, on energy economics. And he's been with us before on America's Voice for Energy, Tim Snyder, who is an energy economist with Pro Petroleum Inc. and a consultant with Agra Energy Solutions based in Lubbock, Texas. So, Tim, I'm glad you could join us today. Thanks, Marita. I appreciate you uh, giving me a call. Well, you know, this topic, really, I decided to write on this because of a conversation that you and I had, which is why I wanted you to be my first segment today to kind of set this up, because you and I are on the radio together almost every single Thursday in Lubbock, Texas. We are on, uh, is it? KRFE, AM 580 in Lubbock, Texas, every Thursday from noon to 1.30. And a couple weeks ago, we were talking about this very issue, the price of gasoline versus the price of oil. And you gave me some interesting explanations. And I went, wow, I need to make that this week's column. So I appreciate your giving me uh, that education and insight. So can you tell our listeners kind of the background behind this? Well, we had, you know, we, we both had been hearing... Uh, for the last couple of weeks, you know, there there was there was some interest in the fact that crude oil had dropped so substantially, and and when we were at these levels in in crude oil, primarily WTI and and of course the Brents as well, but but as we looked at these things, the gasoline prices weren't dropping, and and we were wondering, you know, why is it that uh, you know gasoline prices are still at the level that they're in. And uh, and WTA was dropping like it was, and so what we did is is we you know researched uh, uh, as much as we could on this, and and tried to give Brady um, some information that uh, she could put into uh, her own you know special way to be able to get that out to the to the public, and and uh, basically what we did was we we explained the the uh, kind of the not so much the inner workings of the. Uh, of the refineries, but how they work in a marketplace from an economic standpoint. And uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the crack spread and, uh, you know, the fact that the uh, uh, refineries are, are uh, you know, enjoying a good crack spread, and and uh, that is the... Uh, yeah, let me, can I interrupt you for a sure, sec on that? Sure. Um, one, one of the columns, one of the places my column is published is on kind of an industry website called Oil Pro 
oilpro.com. And one of the people on oilpro wrote a comment about my column, and his comment went, I don't have it in front of me at the moment, I'm kind of furiously trying to pull it up here as we're talking, but he made a comment, he said, one of the things is that the refineries are not generally, here it is, he says, in part the answer is that refineries, which are not generally profitable, are profitable nowadays. Refinery businesses of big majors are counterbalancing their losses in exploration and production. Absolutely. You, completely. you agree with that comment? Oh, yeah, completely okay. agree with that. that. And that's the whole point. I mean, that, that is the issue. And, and uh, you know, when you look at, at crack spreads, and, and, and you know, you, you've got to understand it's the, the crack spread is really the relationship, the price of a gallon or, you know, uh, a, a gallon of gasoline and a gallon of diesel fuel versus the crude oil, the under, underlying crude oil. Uh, that it is uh, that is representative coming from. Um, when you look at those, um, it's important to understand that you know we saw for years crack spreads in the seven, eight, nine. If we were at ten dollars, they were they were happy as they happy as a clam. And lately, we've been in the thirties. So they've been making making money producing fuel, and they need to continue to produce fuel. Um, I think that in fact is the the. Uh, uh, one of the major drivers behind the BP refinery in Whiting, Indiana, coming back online because as soon as we switch to the to the uh, winter blends of gasoline, which is coming up very quickly, um, then all of a sudden you know that margins begin is going to begin to narrow again, and um, you know you want to take advantage. Oh, really? Yeah. They're not going to have as big a margin on with the winter blends. It, they probably won't have the big bl- a margin. Uh, with the uh, winter blends as they do the summer blends. And, you know, the primary reason behind that is just market forces. And uh, market forces are going to push that down. You know, you, you get, it's cheaper to produce the the, uh, uh, the winter gasolines than it is the summer gasolines, but also the price re- is reflective of that. And, I mean, I can tell you right now, Marita, that, that on the futures market, if you look at, at uh, September uh, RBOB, which is the basic blend stock for gasoline, it's at 137.56, and October is at 124.64. That's 13 cents a gallon cheaper in the October contract. That actually comes into play as the spot month next Tuesday. So there's a lot. There's well, you're just talking over my head there, but I hope a lot of our listeners get that. <laughs> well, they'll understand that basically what's happening <clears throat> is we're switching to the to, to the winter blends, and the futures markets are picking that up. and And there's a 13 cent drop. Generally, it's between really 15 and 20 cents a, a gallon. Average is about 17 cents a gallon drop between the summer blends and the winter blends. And uh, the volumes are not as strong. You don't have the demand that you usually do with the uh, summer gasoline, so it's harder for the refinery to move those volumes through there. It is going to be a concern as we move through the, the winter months if if, uh, uh, if these prices weren't coming down. But, boy, I tell you what, it sure does look like they're coming down quickly now. Yeah, it's very scary for the oil industry, as you and I both have are involved in that and have many, many friends in that industry, uh, including our own livelihoods. Uh, it's very scary what we're seeing happening. Hey, it's, it's so true, Marita. The the issue that I think I'm most concerned about is is, and I say this all the time. You hear me say it all. I preach about it all the time. But our economy thrives. You know, the lifeblood of our economy is crude oil. Um, it moves companies. It moves businesses. It does all the things that keeps our economy flowing. And when when the oil companies 
aren't making profits and the, we can't drill wells and we can't put people to work and those kinds of things, so many individual microeconomic uh, measures start to fall off, and then we start looking at this. And, you know, right now um, I think more more than not we're seeing big companies looking to buy little companies and finding ways to uh, to make ends meet until, you know, and they're not going to go broke. The big companies aren't going to go broke. They're, they're uh, heavily taken care of and, and uh, well-financed, and so there's not going to be a problem there. But the smaller companies and the fracking-type companies are going to struggle. They're going to suffer, uh, especially on a downturn like we've seen now. Do you know, Tim, offhand, uh, I was I, just before talking with you, I was on a radio show where I was the guest instead of the host, and I was bringing up about independent producers in America, and I, I said I, I said to the, the host, I believe about 90% of the oil in America uh, is produced by independents. Is that an accurate figure, or am I out to lunch on that? I do not know that figure, and it would be something to research, and I will do that. I, I think that's a great, uh, that's a great uh, question to ask. And uh, we'll just start looking. I think I'm right on that, but I mean, obviously, I wouldn't have said it if I thought I was wrong. <laughs> well, uh, you know, let's get some. Let's, you know, my deal is truth. You know, truth but verify. I've several times said something that was almost correct and almost doesn't work unless you're playing hand grenades. So, the- yeah, yeah. So anyway. I just was curious as we're talking about those, you know, those independents because what we're surrounded by there in the Permian Basin uh, are primarily independents. There's, yeah. I, I don't think there's any big oil in that region, is there? Oh, there's plenty of big oil in that region. Don't don't think. Oh, is there? Oh, yes, there's plenty of big oil in that region. But you know, we've got a great resource and a friend of ours named Gary Bennett, who's an independent oil producer, and uh, he'll be a great resource for that because Gary's one of those people that. That um, you know, he knows he knows his industry. Um, he's an independent producer. He produces not just in the Permian Basin, but all over the country. And uh, you know, he's somebody's very knowledgeable. So I think that's a that's, and he might be a good person for you to actually interview on uh, one of your upcoming shows. I know I need to get him on the show with me. Certainly need to do that. I think I have had him on once, but anyway, we digress. So. We've just got about three minutes left, Tim, and how time flies when you and I get to yakking. But what are some of what are some of the myths that the public has out there in the whole uh, oil producing, refining, gas pump kind of mix? Well, it's important to understand that you know the the first thing that that people do when prices go up is they scream at their at the Exxon's and the Mobiles and the Valeros and the ConocoPhillips and they scream at everybody that they can possibly scream at. And the things that they don't understand, our margins are very, very tight in the retail and even in the wholesale level. There are tremendous losses that uh, companies have experienced, you know, since probably December of this last year uh, to now. It's just a, it's been a very difficult haul for people. And, you know, you, you look at, at prices and prices are not as reactive uh, to the downside as they are to the upside because companies are looking um, for opportunities to not just uh, keep a profitability, but they're looking for ways to keep their head above water and gain back some of the losses that they've had. That's important to understand. Second of all, if you look at the refineries, you know, the refineries uh, are finally in a position where they can make a little hay, and, uh, you know, that's that's what this country is built on is, is profitability. And so my hat's off to them. Do what you got to do in a marketplace. Market will sustain that. And our economy needs a stronger, more vibrant, energy-driven, uh, 
crude oil, gasoline, diesel-driven world. So that's that helps where we are. Now, what about we haven't built a new refinery since 1977? Right. It, what what's the story there? Well, the main reason behind that there's there's a couple of and let me let me clarify we haven't built a major new refinery right that that that's where I was going to go I mean, oh, okay sorry that's okay but but you have to understand not only have we not done that but the reason we haven't done that the primary reason is the fact that there are I think I heard uh, uh, John Hoffmeister used to be the uh, CEO of Shell Oil here in the United States say that they just the initial process there were a hundred and and uh, 33 separate permits that are required through the EPA just to get the process started, not to mention all the other permits that have to go uh, through during production. So EPA has made it so uh, restrictive. Yes, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Gosh, there, it's, it's a really complicated issue, and I hope that this show today with the other experts uh, that, that will be joining me will be able to ha- really help clarify this for those who care. I mean, I know we're kind of a little bit in the weeds on this topic today, but for those who want to understand, uh, I hope you'll stay tuned and listen through to the end of the show, the following segments where we're going to have a couple of other experts on, Phil Flynn talking about gas prices, John Hours, and Sandy fields and talking about the refinery issues and they talk about different issues and tim you've given us a great overview today so i appreciate you joining us once again on america's voice for energy watchdog is a term given an organization like the united states justice foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and when necessary taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights usjf a nonprofit organization is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're talking with a variety of experts around the topic of oil prices and gasoline prices and why they are not currently tracking together as they historically do. One of the things I love about this show is the opportunity to reach out to experts that I don't previously have a relationship with. Uh, 
people that I find in news reports that, as a part of my research. And that's who we have with us for this segment. I'm excited to have Sandy Felden with me, and he is the Director of Energy Analytics for RBN Energy LLC. And, of course, we'll ask him to tell us more about that. And I became aware of Sandy because of one of the bits of research I pulled up for my column this week, which is, of course, titled, Oil Down, Gasoline Isn't What's Up. And I have to say, this has been a topic that has had a lot of interest. The places that post my work have had, for me, unprecedented response. I've already done many radio interviews myself where I was the expert uh, today where I've been talking about this topic. And so it's clearly something that the public has questions about. And so, Sandy, welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I appreciate you making yourself available for us today. No problem. Thank you very much. So this post in Fuel Fix talks about what you've written, and it says that uh, you wrote a recent analysis of crude refining trends. So can you kind of give our listeners and and realize that in general most of our listeners, or at least I gear this show towards the average person, the average consumer rather than insiders, can you give us an insight of kind of the current refinery status in America? Sure, yes. So uh, what I do is uh, I edit and put together a daily blog for RBN um, that we provide, again, for a broad audience of readers across the energy sector. So one of the blogs that I wrote last week was called, uh, talked about uh, the issue of the extent to which refineries in the U.S. have been running at kind of full pelt um, and much higher than they have normally been running. And some of the consequences of that uh, extensive um, uh, use of uh, our refining capacity. Um, and so really uh, the story is that while crude oil prices are low and have been getting even lower in the past week, we're now under $40 a barrel, that's generally uh, a good thing for refiners because their raw material, crude oil, is, is less expensive. Uh, and actually what tends to happen is that uh, when crude oil is less expensive, uh, gasoline prices and, uh, in fact, diesel prices stay a little higher for a little bit longer and allow them to make uh, a better margin uh, by refining crude oil. But in this particular case, uh, the... Uh, Gasoline prices in some parts of the, of the U.S. in particular have stayed uh, a little bit higher, even as crude oil prices have fallen. And a lot of that has really been to do with operational reasons. Um, so the operational reasons are really that um, this summer uh, we've seen a surge in the U.S. demand for gasoline um, by about half a million barrels a day, which is a pretty significant jump. Now, can I, can I jump in here for a moment? Would, would you suppose or presume that this increase in demand for gasoline is due to uh, the low price compared to what the American consumer has been used to for summer driving seasons for the last few years with the current low price? People might be more inclined to, um, people yes. might be more inclined to be driving? 
yep, that's absolutely what it is. That seems to be, you know, it's still a little bit early to get the, the full details on it, but as we understand it, people have been driving more. Uh, they're also buying new vehicles, and they tend to be larger vehicles, so basically consumers are using more gasoline. They're feeling uh, that gas doesn't cost so much. It's about a buck a gallon cheaper than we were paying last year, so basically uh, that's caused a, uh, an uptick in demand for gasoline, and what that's led to is that uh, in order to meet that demand for gasoline, the refineries have been running, as I say, at, uh, at full pelt in order to uh, produce enough gasoline to meet that demand. Yeah, I was on a radio interview earlier today, and, and uh, frankly, I was driving while I was doing the radio interview. They wanted me on the air for a live show at a time I was in the car. So I was thinking about cars, and I likened it to, I said, you know, the refineries, they've kind of been operating pedal to the metal, and they're old. I mean, they're, most of the refineries in this country are average 40 years old. My prize in my research to see that some of the refineries that we're operating are as much as 100 years old. And I likened it in my conversation earlier to uh, you've got an old car. And you have an old car, it needs maintenance. And if you baby your car and you drive it carefully, it needs less maintenance. But if you drive that old car hard, it needs more maintenance. And I use that as an example of kind of where the refineries are, and it just sort of came to me while I was driving. Would you say that's an, ac an accurate analysis? Yes, it's pretty much the, um, the point that I was making in, in my post, which is, uh, yes, as you say, that if you run anything hard enough and long enough, um, particularly if, it's, uh, if it requires maintenance, then basically it makes sense to uh, do that maintenance sooner rather than later. And what we've seen this summer is that obviously uh, refiners have been making good margins and so uh, they've been perhaps tempted to put off maintenance. I, you know, I don't think they ever do this in any way that's going to be uh, unsafe, but obviously they make decisions uh, every day and every week about when to schedule maintenance, and if they can put that off when they're making money, then that's more likely to happen. So, um, yes, we're seeing uh, an aging refinery infrastructure getting used um, a lot more than it has been in the past several years. Uh, and, in fact, you know, proving that the U.S. can actually uh, produce significant amounts of, uh, of fuels, not just for domestic consumption, but also uh, we've been expanding our exports of refined products as well. Yeah, I understand. I think it was back in 2011, a refined petroleum product became the number one export product in the U.S. Is that still the case? Do you know? I think actually we're, um, we're, we're exporting net exports. We do still import some gasoline in particular locations where it's not available from domestic uh, uh, distribution systems. But, uh, yeah, we are exporting more gasoline than we ever had and, and also more diesel, particularly from, from the Gulf Coast and, and particularly to Latin America where those countries don't produce enough. They're uh, able to take advantage of the U.S., which is basically the lowest cost producer uh, in, in this hemisphere. Yeah, and it's my understanding that gasoline is priced based on the global market price of oil, where we've got so much oil in the States now that the WTI is trading at a discounted rate from Brent, but yet gasoline is priced on global, so that's giving the refineries an uh, additional uh, profit or incentive at this point. 
Yes, that's. Uh, I mean, that's a matter of some uh, some contention, uh, and is part of the issue about uh, the discussion that's going on about whether to allow exports of crude oil. But effectively, yes. at the moment, uh, particularly this summer, of course, the increased demand from domestic demand of people driving more has, has pushed up the price of gasoline, as it does with any commodity where demand is up. Then basically, people are going to be paying more for it um, in order to uh, to get it to where it's needed. That we've had. Uh, uh, a couple of uh, some minor but also some major refinery issues where they've had unplanned shutdowns uh, earlier in the year we had uh, there was a shutdown of a refinery in in california uh, and there that caused gasoline prices to spike in that market and they've been up most of the summer because the california market is kind of isolated from the rest of the country there aren't pipelines going in across the rockies so effectively they need to import gasoline so their prices have been higher and then more recently in the midwest a couple of weeks ago the biggest refinery there in the midwest the bp whiting refinery uh, they developed a problem that basically half their capacity went down unexpectedly and that led to a big uh, spike in the price of gasoline in those in those markets basically um, on the expectation that there would be a shortage of uh, of gasoline yeah, and then we had the Marathon uh, refinery and Robinson go down uh, at the same time, and those are both those are both big big refineries. Yeah, so any time um, the, these unplanned outages occur, obviously you're uh, in a situation where the normal distribution system is not capable of replenishing the supplies um, just out of, out of nowhere. It takes some time to get supplies in from somewhere else, so you're going to have short-term... And bringing those supplies in from somewhere else is an additional cost. Yes, there's an additional cost to it, and obviously in order to attract supplies in an already tight market, then price is the way the mechanism that works there. Now, then, I I, go ahead. On top of all, all of that, basically the other thing that's happening is that we're kind of at the end of what they call the, the summer driving season, and that's uh, the time of year when they make some changes to the specifications of gasoline based on uh, what's allowed to be used during the during the summer months. Um, and so that changeover in the requirements, the makeup, the blending of gasoline uh, complicates the distribution system at this time of year and causes, uh, it becomes more problematic to suddenly uh, bring supplies in from somewhere else to meet, to meet incremental demand that was unexpected. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting how this all all factors in the the driving season and so forth and the refineries. I when my research, I was having a really tough time finding anything uh, other than a line or two, including a line that was in the column in Fuel Fix where I found you. Uh, there was one line there that said Marathon Petroleum Corporation shut its refinery in Robinson for repairs that expected the last two months, and I have not been able to find anywhere whether that shutdown was expected or unexpected. If it was planned maintenance, which it seems like the wrong season for that to me, but I'm not the expert, or whether it was an unplanned situation. Do you have any idea? 
I think, in fact, that that one was a planned shutdown, um, that they had uh, expected to do that, and it became more of a headline, obviously, because it's in exactly the same region as the BP refinery that went down unexpectedly, so it kind of added insult to injury. Um, but I think they had planned that. Now, uh, normally, those maintenance uh, uh, shutdowns are, or what they call turnarounds, are planned for the end of the, uh, of the summer season, so they're typically going to occur in the fall or, or in fact, in the spring when demand is lower but uh, yeah, maybe for whatever operational reasons Marathon needed to take care of an issue and obviously um, you know their considerations are that uh, uh, I'm sure that the safety comes first and, uh, and so they yes. would have scheduled it whenever they needed to do it. Yeah. Sandy, you've been very insightful. I'm so glad that you and I have uh, met by, by telephone and radio show here today. Tell our listeners where they can get your blog and do you write a daily blog? But yes, we publish a blog every day. If you go to uh, rbnenergy.com, uh, all one word, then you can sign up and you'll, we'll send you an email every day with a link to the blog. And uh, we have about 18,000 daily subscribers to that email. So it's a pretty big audience. Wow, that is a big audience. Well, I appreciate you taking your time to be with us today. I'm glad I've discovered you, and I will look forward to uh, subscribing to your blog myself. And now I write a big column. Well, I think it's a big column once a week, and that's a huge challenge. I can't imagine doing it on a daily basis. But Sandy Feldman, Director of Energy Analytics with RBN Energy, LLC, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. We'll be right back. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we've been talking about gasoline prices, refinery issues, and I always enjoy the opportunity to meet new experts, experts who perhaps helped me, albeit unwittingly, in the writing of my column. And this week one of those new experts I'm, I'm delighted to, to connect with is John Hours, who is Executive Vice President at Turner Mason and company, a Dallas-based energy consultancy, and we'll learn more about what they do as we talk to John in this segment. So, John, welcome to America's Voice for Energy. Well, Maria, thanks for having me. 
I'm glad we were able to connect. I think we tried to connect uh, a few months back over something else, and I found your name, in this case, in a Bloomberg.com column that I read as part of my research to write my column. Uh, and actually, it wasn't a column. Probably it would be more what they'd call an article. But the article was titled, Refinery Outages Add Pressure on Oil as Worsening Glut Looms. And in our last segment, we talked with Sandy Fielden, who I know you know, and we talked a little bit more about refineries, and we didn't talk so much about the oil glut. I don't know if you're, if you're uh, comfortable addressing how those connect, but I also want to ask you, my column is published, and this week the name of my column is Oil's Down, Gasoline Isn't What's Up. And I find that that's becoming, uh, as oils drop now below $40 a barrel, becoming a, a bigger question for the public. Myself, as the expert, I've done four radio interviews today already and have more coming up today. But one of the places where my column is published Someone responded to a line that I wrote, and the line I wrote in my column was about Labor Day and the peak driving season, and I said, it's when families make that one last trip to the lake or to visit grandma, which always causes a jump in demand that tightens supplies. So this person who responds quotes me there, and then he says, it's not like there's a surprise here. And then he says, oh, crap, it's Labor Day. Why didn't anyone tell me? So, you know, I think he kind of brings up a good question. Don't we know when these peak driving seasons are? Can't they prepare for that? Well, uh, you know, and, and they do. Refineries uh, definitely, uh, uh, you know, schedule their planned downtimes uh, for after driving season or before driving season so their uh, refineries are ready to produce at peak levels. Uh, this year in particular, you know, we're, we're actually running at high utilization levels we had in a long time. The last uh, several weeks, refineries have been running at 95% utilization, which is uh, relatively unheard of over the last five or six years. Uh, so they're running as hard as they possibly can, uh, making as much gasoline as they can. We're up, uh, as far as gasoline demand goes in the U.S., we're up by over 4.3%, I believe, over last year, and last year was up over 2013. So um, we're, in fact, August, and there's a chance that this August, this month, we might have the largest uh, gasoline consumption level that we've ever had. You know, we're really? close to the record levels that we saw back in uh, the summer of 2007. So, uh, and, and to be honest with you, no, two or three years ago, nobody anticipated that. Everybody anticipated 2007. That's, we're never going to get back to those levels again. Well, we're getting there. You know, we're, we're not, for the year, we're not going to be as high as we were in 2007. But here in the last couple of months, we've been uh, uh, consuming as much gasoline as we ever, we ever have. So we're, we're at levels that people really almost couldn't anticipate. We're, refiners are running full out, and, uh, and then we've had a couple unplanned downtimes. And sometimes that, you know, that certainly... It's, it, it's called unplanned for a reason, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, but you know, the, like the, like my commenter said, Labor Day is kind of planned. But is it because do we have a spike in in the price of gasoline? Say every Memorial Day and every Labor Day and every Thanksgiving, you know, those big driving times when families take driving kind of vacations. Uh, did they spike simply because they can? Simply because refiners are taking advantage of? The consumer, or is there, 
a supply slash storage issue. I mean, I understand you can only store so much crude oil. Oh, I'm not crude oil, excuse me. Well, that's true, too. But you can only store so much gasoline. So when there is a really high demand time, um, can we not store up for that? Well, you know, there's limits to that. Uh, you know, it's a, the gasoline market's a very free market. And so it's, there, is, there is no opportunity for manipulation, and, and, and there isn't. You know, people sometimes think there is, and, and you know, we've had multiple congressional investigations called for political reasons to, uh, to look at it, and every one of them has come up, you know, empty. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. basically when prices spike, it's because of usually some unanticipated event, whether it's a hurricane that, that uh, knocks refineries out of service, whether it's um, you know a spike in demand and then some unplanned downtimes that coincide with that, um, and I you know be honest with you, I haven't analyzed the Memorial Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving Day spike. I don't believe there is. If I looked at the date, I don't think I'd see that. But I, I can't speak to that because I haven't done that analysis. But uh, the system's a very uh, very uh, the gasoline market's about as free market as you get. You know you see the street street prices posted. You know there's there's almost no uh, commodities that you that have such a uh, visible price uh, you know price on them as gasoline does. Uh, yes. And, and and consumers respond to that. You know, consumers you know drive to the you know they'll go go an extra exit to go to a cheaper uh, uh, gasoline price. So and and marketers uh, realize that, and so they price that. So there's no there's no opportunity to to manipulate. Um, obviously, in certain areas where you have unplanned downtimes, you don't have enough supply, you know, and there's not enough uh, gasoline in storage, and it's difficult to get gasoline in. You know, we saw that in the West Coast. They had several downtimes, but one particular one, the ExxonMobil Torrance plant earlier in the year in February. And so they've had high prices uh, throughout the first half of uh, 2015, solely because it's hard to get gasoline to, to the West Coast. Um, and uh, so all, all of the high prices are a result of unanticipated supply, uh, disruptions, uh, demand spikes, things like that. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the California situation, and, and uh, I'm, I'm in Nevada at the moment as we're speaking. I'm, well, my organization is based in New Mexico, but I'm in Nevada at the moment. And Sunday night I drove from California to Nevada, and at about at the state line I paid $4.53 a gallon for gasoline, and yet I was on a radio show earlier today in South Carolina, and he told me that they've got gasoline under $2 a gallon in uh, South Carolina. So there certainly is, uh, California's kind of a market unto itself there. It's a market on itself for a lot of reasons. Uh, what I spoke to was the supply situation. It's very isolated from the rest of the country. You know, there are no pipelines that connect California to the Gulf Coast. Uh, unlike the East Coast and the Mid-Continent, which can get gasoline from the you know, Gulf Coast refining centers. And so it's sort of a self-supplied area. And uh, if all the refineries are running, there's a bit of a surplus of gasoline, and they, they export it. But if there's one refinery that comes down and, and you have strong demand, all of a sudden you're short. And you have to source that incremental gasoline from a long distance, whether it's from the uh, Far East, from Singapore or Korea or someplace like that, that or, or uh, coming from the Gulf Coast through the Panama Canal. So your alternate supply sources are, are far away and, and difficult to, uh, to access and, and expensive. You know, as I was preparing, speaking about California and their gas, as I was preparing to write this column this week, I had some uh, a reliable source told me but said you can't quote me. Uh, because then if people will know where it came from, 
and of course now I'm going to quote them, but I didn't put it in my in print, and I couldn't find any verification for what I'm about to say, so I didn't include it in my column because if I can't get it verified, I won't include it. But he mentioned that there was a Kinder Morgan pipeline that brought the I don't know what you call it is it the Arbob to California that was damaged in the recent storms that California had that interrupted that supply that therefore was adding to this uh, national increase in uh, national average increase in gasoline. Do you know anything about that? Uh, there have been some – I have to look at that particular one. Uh, I, I, I could find no news on it anywhere. I checked with my Kinder Morgan sources. I couldn't find any verification. Right. I, I'm not sure what they're talking about there either. The primary reason that California this year has had high gasoline prices has been uh, the refinery outage at, uh, at ExxonMobil's Torrance plant. Um, it went down and is that back now? No, not yet. They're trying to get it back, but there's been issues, uh, you know, and, and that's the other part, which I didn't get to, you know, the other reason why gasoline prices are more expensive in California have a very oil-unfriendly environment there, high taxes, high cost structures. And, uh, yeah, we think. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's yeah, shocking, isn't it? There's a, there's a good chance if, if that refinery was located in Texas, uh, that facility would already been back online. Um, really? You know, the, cat unit that was down. I mean, Exxon uh, Mobil had a plan to, to bring it back online temporarily, you know, and to, to relieve the gasoline shortage here in the summer, and California nixed it, so uh, the regulators nixed that plan. So it's it takes a lot longer to uh, to, to satisfy the regulators that uh, things are repaired and ready to go, and, and um, you know, so the regulatory environment, tax environment, uh, you know, uh, is, is certainly uh, a, a part of the answer. And it, it exacerbates uh, these uh, supply uh, outages. Uh, as it has. Yeah, I, I, hadn't, I wasn't aware that that the uh, <coughs> that they were so harsh on a refinery like that. And I think that's something that consumers need to understand that these, you know, while they're paying, well, if they're watching the news and seeing that many parts of the country have gas under right now under two dollars a gallon, and they're paying, you know, I mean, I was in a remote region where I bought gas at 453 but i mean it's pretty pretty standard for four dollar gallon gasoline in california yeah and and again this year is a little bit unusual because of this uh yeah there was a couple other downtimes at uh, downtime uh down times at other plants unplanned uh, outages that uh supplemented that uh, torrents downtime but that's been the big one you know it's a fairly large refinery and their main gasoline producing unit the cat unit is one that's down but uh it's not it's you know, the situation there is, again, it's isolated. doesn't take much for you to go over the edge where you're short on supplies as opposed to being a little bit long. And uh, I don't know that the, the public out there understands that. I mean, they're resistant. Uh, there's a Chevron refinery up in the Bay Area that's been wanting to uh, increase the efficiency of their plant, uh, the Chevron Richmond plant, for several years. Really simple project. It would have been very easy to get approved uh, if it was in Texas that, uh it's been very difficult. They're fighting tooth and nail just to get uh, approval, um, and so it's it's uh, it's it's the pub the public is is um, I don't know that they understand the connection between the um, regulatory policies and the price of gasoline, 
Um, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, speaking of that permitting thing and so forth, getting it, I mentioned in my column, and, I, you know, I'm the communicator. I'm not the real expert. I know more than the person on the street, but I'm not the real expert. Um, and I wrote about there haven't been any new um, refineries. Well, someone on oilpro.com, where my column is posted, says, apparently since 1975, only one permit has been sought for a new refinery in the U.S. and was from a no-name company that wanted to build a refinery in the middle of Arizona. And he says it's not impossible to build a new refinery. It just hasn't seriously been tried. Um, do you, do you, do you would, would you agree with that? Do you have any insight on that? And we only have, we're just like barely, almost out of time. Well, we, we actually had a, have had a, a new refinery built uh, the, in North Dakota, uh, the uh, uh, Dakota Prairie Refinery. And it's a small one. It's 20,000 barrels yeah, a day. Yeah. It, that started up uh, in the spring, and there have actually been uh, major expansions. They're essentially equivalent to new refineries built on the Gulf Coast, like the Motiva Port Arthur expansion of 325,000 barrels a day of, of uh, incremental capacity and, down, and significant downstream capacity, too, and, and Marathon Garyville, significant expansion capacity. So there's been significant expansions. In fact, we're running more crude oil. Uh, we were above seven, we've run more than 17 million barrels a day of crude oil in two of the last three weeks. Never have done that before. So we're running more crude oil in the U.S. than we ever have. So refiners are running now, full Was that before the BP plant went down? Uh, yes. Those numbers well, you just well, quoted, they were before the BP plant went down? Yeah, and it, it dipped under here in the last week at the, with the Whiting plant. It, it's dipped below 17 million. But in the last week of July and the first week of August, uh, we were above 17 million barrels a day of crude inputs to the U.S. refineries and never had seen that before. Wow. So, John, it's great to talk to you, but I'm, I'm out of time. I'm going to be in trouble if I go too long, so I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but uh, great conversation. I hope we can do it again sometime soon. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you much, John. We'll be right back with America's Voice for Energy. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our closing segment of America's Voice for 
With us in this segment, I'm pleased to have back Phil Flynn. If you are a viewer of Fox Business Channel, you know Phil Flynn because he's a regular guest prices. And Phil, I expect that you are kind of the man of the hour this week with what's happening with oil and gas and so forth. I assume you're very popular. So thanks for taking your time to be with us today. Thank you. I am very busy. I don't know if popular is the word, but (laughs) I've been in demand. I don't know if that makes me popular or not. Sometimes that's not a good thing when gas prices go up, uh, but I am in demand. I will say that. Yeah, there's a lot going on out there, and there's a lot of moving pieces. And, uh, you know, I, I think the general public doesn't understand the connection to uh, what's going on right now, because for the first time, and I don't know if it's ever, but the first time in recent history, we've seen um, gasoline stay steady or increase while oil is continuing to decline, where historically they kind of go together. They do, and and a lot of people are complaining about that. I've got people blaming me, you know, you evil speculator, Phil Flynn. You know, why aren't my gas prices are going down? Oil is cheaper. Well, it really comes down to the fact of where you are in the country. You know, a lot of places in the country have benefited from these lower gasoline prices because of the low oil prices. And historically, really, if you look at the big picture of uh, gasoline prices, even though they've gone up recently in some places, are still a heck of a lot cheaper than they were a year ago or even a couple of years ago. So it's not all a bad news story, but we definitely have seen the last couple of days in certain areas of the country due to major refining issues, prices are up, and that's why they're up right now while oil prices have gone down. Yeah, now we've talked, I guess, kind of a lot about the refineries, but I saw earlier that for example, the southeast portion of the country, it seems, is having gasoline under $2 a gallon, which I didn't personally think we'd see until we got into the winter blends. Why is the southeast portion of the country so much less? Well, I think it is because that they have received most of the benefits from the low oil prices. They're in an area where they can basically uh, import um, a lot of oil from other places. Uh, we've seen imports into the Gulf Coast, for example, uh, be well above normal. So we're getting the benefits not only of cheap oil prices here in the U.S., uh, but, but record imports. And their refineries, unlike some refineries in the country, uh, have been able to spit out a record amount of gasoline, and that's pushing those prices down. And a lot of those places in the southeast you know, are not big cities like Chicago or San Francisco or Los Angeles where we have stricter regulations on gasoline, higher taxes, higher cost of living, um, and all of those factors also to why these prices are cheaper in the Southwest. Yeah, I was in California. I mentioned in earlier segments of the show, I was in California uh, a couple days ago, and coming uh, as I was, I paid four dollars and fifty three cents a gallon for gasoline, which I just could not believe. Yeah, I I did myself, and I, I'm mad at myself because you know I have been driving in early to do Maria Bartiromo's show in the morning, so I had to get up early, and I forgot to get gas the day before, and here I am on the tollway. It's like, oh my gosh, I just better go bite the bullet. Uh, I think I paid like four seventy a gallon. I mean, I got I felt gouged, but I understood that hey, you know, supply and demand. It's the only gas station you're going to get. 
in in the real estate, you know, to be right on the expressway or on the tollway is very expensive. So I paid through the nose, and I've learned my lesson: fill up at the cheap place before I leave the house. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, and, and there's a lot of uh, people. You like you said, you felt like you were being gouged. There's there's a lot of people that feel that they're being gouged with with those prices because the price at the pump is higher than it is you know than they perceive. They see these news stories about the price of a drop of a gallon or a barrel of oil, and and they're not seeing that. Yeah, they're not seeing that reflected at the pump. They're not, and they do feel gouged, and I don't blame them, you know. And, you know, when, when you're here in Chicago, you, you fill up the, the, the gas tank one day, it's, a, you know, two, two, you know, forty a gallon, and then the next day it's $3 a gallon. Sure, you feel like, what are they pulling now, you know, with these issues? And um, that's exactly what happened here in the Midwest. You know, I, I fill up with premium. You know, I, you know, I went to a little station, and, you know, premium was paying about three oh three a gallon one day the next day it was three forty the next day it was three ninety you know and then it leveled off to three seventy so you know people are upset when they see that they think that there's some funny business going on at these refineries now I'm in the business you know I understand there's a lot of factors that impact gasoline prices you know when you lose you know fifty six percent of the refining capacity in an area which is basically you know, what that Whiting refinery does, it causes a big price spike. You can't replace that gasoline very easily. Yeah, I and, and along, that, but I still feel gouged. Yeah, and along with the Whiting refinery, we have the uh, Marathon Robinson, Illinois refinery that, that is down as well. And I, I wrote that in my column, and I you reviewed my column, and I so appreciate that because, you know, I'm not the expert on anything, really. I'm the communicator. I know more about energy than the average person on the street. But I just so appreciate you taking the time to review what I wrote to make. Because, you know, I'm like, I hope I'm on track. But as, I was, doing, track. as I was doing my research, I could find almost nothing out there on the marathon refinery that was down except for the except for that it's down i couldn't find do you have any ideas was it scheduled maintenance was it a, a, a surprise was it unplanned that was planned that was out there and um there were a few and that's why the um the whiting refinery had such a big impact because there were other refineries that were down for for planned maintenance um and i do think that there was a little power outage at another refinery you know so when it rains it pours so to speak um right but the ones that have moved the markets dramatically have been the unplanned outages and that's exactly what we saw uh with the whiting refinery being down yeah, so what, what, where do you see gas prices uh, going in the next, in, in this next season? Well, I mean, we definitely have, are going to continue to see downward pressure on gasoline prices, and this could come even if oil prices go back up. I know that's counterintuitive because yeah, it is. it's like it's the other way, but I think we could see a situation where the demand, you know, refiners are willing to pay up a little more for, for a barrel of oil uh, to, fee, you know, to feed the market because the refining margins are good, you know. And so, you know, we could get into a situation the opposite of what's been happening where oil prices go up and gas prices go down, and that's what I expect is going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Hmm. What do you see um – the the impact of Iran on the price of oil. Do you, are you are are you seeing that as a as a factor? 
it, it has been a factor. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we saw oil prices plummet, you know, in, in the month of July. I mean, right. it's one of many factors. I mean, we really had the situation with Greece, which really started the ball rolling to the downside, because who knew they wouldn't take the money? I thought they would, you know, but they decided yeah. to tank their economy and, you know, bring the Eurozone into a recession. And then, of course, you did have the Iranian thing, which is, you know, hey, 20 years, you know, with sanctions, all of a sudden they're gone. You know, what does that mean for the oil market? That puts downward pressure on price. So that's another thing that that brought us down. Um, and then, of course, you have, you know, the latest uh, situation with China, which is also raising concerns about global economic growth. And so it's basically showing a lot of disturbing, you know, trends in the economy, and that's part of the reason why oil prices are down. You know, we like to say, hey, oil prices are down, that's great news. Well, in this case, it isn't really great news. It's, it's, it's really down in It's current. really bad it's, news. Scared. It's bad news, exactly. We're, we're fearful. Global economy is slowing. You know, uh, maybe we'll get more Iranian oil. Maybe we won't. But, you know, but it's more of a concern right now uh, about the economy being in big trouble. You know, I made a statement earlier today, and, and it's just my opinion. I have no expertise. You're the one who's involved so much more in markets, and that's why I bring, want to bring this up to you, is that I see that the Iranian situation of being able to dump 150 million barrels of oil, in it, and it was you, and I quote you all the time, you to told me probably last time we you were on my show, you told me that there's kind of a gentleman's rule among OPEC that when one country has been constrained from releasing their supplies, and that constraint is lifted, whatever it may be, in this case sanctions, that the other countries kind of dial back to allow that country to get that. Now, I've mentioned that to a lot of different experts that I talked to that I've had on the show, and they pretty much uh, acknowledge, yes, that's accurate. And then I say, but, you know, I'm personally, this is just my opinion, I'm not thinking that those countries are going to do that this time. And everybody I've talked to has agreed with me that, that, we shouldn't expect to see Saudi Arabia, for example, dial back if Iran is allowed to export their oil. Well, we've, we've seen mixed signals on that issue out of Saudi Arabia. Why they haven't directly addressed whether they would or whether they wouldn't, um, they kind of dropped to hints that they would probably cut back production at the end of summer. Um, and, and in some ways, the amount they're talking about is probably equivalent uh, to at least half of what Iran says that they can bring back online very quickly. Uh, also, there has been some recent talk about a potential emergency OPEC meeting, um, and Iran, of course, has an open uh, mind to that. They would like to have an emergency meeting, um, and it may be a situation where uh, the Saudis don't really want to have a meeting because it might show that they're losing the, uh, the production war. But, you know, my sense is that it's too early to tell whether the Saudis are going to, you know, step to the side and cut back production because they're the only ones that really can at right. this point. Right, right. Um, and, um, you know, I, so I think that the jury's out. My sense is that they are going to make a modest cut to allow the, the Iranian oil back into the market. So if they're making a modest cut, we're still going to see uh, additional oil flooding the markets. Well, that's the assumption, you know, yeah. and 
the one thing is, is that we're counting those barrels before they're hatched. Can you count a barrel before? I don't even know barrels. <laughs> you know, you count your eggs before they're hatched. Uh, yes. Count these barrels before they're hatched. I mean, you know, there's still significant hurdles to get to before we see this flood of oil. I know the UK and the rest of the world's getting ready for the, the more of this oil, and there will be some you know, lifting of the sanctions no matter what happens. But we still have to get through Congress here in the United States. We still have to get through the weapons inspectors. You know, and, and there's there's growing concerns about these side deals that were cut at this meeting that, oh, okay, you know, we're going to let the chickens inspect the hen houses. Is that okay with you guys? Okay. Yeah. Chickens in charge of the hen houses. Iranians are going to check. You know, it's like I wish I could do my own a report card when I was in school, you know, I would have been magnum cum laude for heaven's sakes, you know. So, I mean, you know, so there's still a lot of questions about this deal. We even uh, heard that France is really kind of having second thoughts about this deal, you know, so maybe it's not such a sure thing as people think. Now, maybe I'm wrong. The market certainly thinks we're going to see more oil. They I'm glad you said oil. that because that's what I would, that was my next question is because I made yeah. a statement to someone earlier today that I think that the markets think this deal is going through. Yeah, I mean, the markets have definitely priced in more oil. There's absolutely no doubt that that's been a major factor in, in what's been happening here, you know, that we've yeah. seen oil prices go down. There's absolutely no doubt about that. So, you know, if, you know, if the market gets a sense that this isn't going to happen or if it's not going to happen in the magnitude that they think it's going to happen, you know, you might get a, you know, 2 or $5 a barrel rally really quick. Well, we're out of time, Phil. You've given us great insight today that our other guests have not covered, so thanks for really rounding the show out, and it's a treat to have you with me on America's Voice for Energy once again. Thank you so much, Marina. Thanks, Phil. Hope Thank you'll you. join us on America's Voice for Energy next week.